Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Talking Addiction and Recovery. I am your host, Andrew Schreier, and I'm joined today by Timothy Regal, who is the author of Living Porn Free, 10 Steps to Recovery, Redemption, and Renewal. Before I give the audience a little bit about you and bio, uh, thanks for joining today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Glad to be here. And you are the founder of Into the Wilderness Ministries, which I want to definitely ask you more about that. And mm-hmm. after overcoming a 15-year addiction to porn and sex, you've made it your mission to help other men break free from the bonds of addiction. As an author, coach, and chaplain, you work with men to transform their lives by renewing their faith, re-energizing their families, and restoring their masculinity And this is definitely a topic I want to talk about on this podcast, because in my career, I've seen more and more people come to me for help because of pornography. So where does your whole journey start with with this issue in particular? Well, my journey, I guess, would start with with my addiction. Um, You know, I grew up in a a good, solid home and, and got into to porn as an early teenager um, you know, 12, 13 years old, just as a curious kid, you know, just, uh, you know, I grew up in a, not an overly strict home, but a Christian home. And, you know, the big thing was, you know, you know, don't have sex till marriage and, and all that sort of stuff, which I believe in, but it was, you know, it was really harped down, you know, the big three were don't drink, don't smoke and don't have sex. And, <laughs> and so when I was, you know, early teens, you know, I, I was just naturally curious. I wanted to try these things, you know, and got hooked on porn right away. Um, just, just found out, it's like, whoa, this is awesome. You know, this feels good. It's exciting. It, it's, it's, just, you know, and, um, just got hooked from there. Um, you know, and, and it just escalated out of control over time. Um, I was watching porn and masturbating all the time, got into some sexual relationships and in, in my teenage years, um, you know, my, my later teens and early twenties, I was in played in, I'm a musician. I played guitar and a couple other instruments. I played in, in punk rock and metal bands and, you know, which just fed into that sex, drugs and rock and roll lifestyle. Um, I got married, had kids, you know, naively thought that would solve the problem, you know, and of course it didn't. And my addiction escalated to the point where it was just porn. You know, I got into, first I got into, you know, more unique styles of porn and, and you know, kinkier stuff, fetisher stuff, more hardcore stuff, eventually into um, webcams and chat rooms, and eventually even into um, hookups, uh, prostitution, uh, you know, Craigslist, Tinder, you know, all that sort of stuff. And throughout my marriage, I got caught a few times, you know, and like any good, good liar, I talked my way out of it. And, um, I would do well for a while. Um, uh, you know, it would have months at a time sometimes where things were good. And then I would, but I would always fall back into it. Um, my wife and I separated for, for almost a year, but eventually we were able to get back together. Um, you know, I would do well for a while, fall back into it, do well for a while, fall back into it. And I tried, you know, tons of different, um, you know, books and, and, and Bible studies and, and men's retreats and, and, and counseling and, and all this sort of stuff. And like before, it would help for a while, and but I never could completely get over it. 
kind of the turning point for me was about three, four years ago, I had a couple of really good friends of mine who were kind of my accountability partners. We were, we were best friends. Um, and they, the last time I got caught, they caught me and kind of wash your hands of me. And that was really the wake up call, um, which in hindsight, you know, bothers me because it, it wasn't all the damage I'd caused to my marriage and my wife and my family that got me to change. It was losing my, my, my buddies that I go out for a beer with. Um, yeah. How do you explain that? You know, Cause that that's something stuff. that people like, but it don't... woke me up, you know, in hindsight, I'm glad it happened because it, it, yeah. Do you, how do you explain that to people? Because they probably don't understand that. And in your book, you talked about like you got caught a bunch of times and people think like, Oh, once that person gets caught, that means it's over. Now you're caught. Mm -hmm. But you mentioned that, you know, your wife caught you and the problems that were there, that wasn't a turning point, but your right. friends did. And that was, how do you explain that to people who aren't in this field or who haven't been in that experience? Cause that's something that they grapple with. Right. Right. Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, to be, to, to be completely honest with you, it was just whatever, for some reason that woke me up, you know, maybe it was, you know, losing, losing face outside of my family, because before then it was only really my family that knew about it. You know, I wasn't really exposed publicly. You know, my wife knew about it. My family knew about it. My parents and, and, and everybody knew about it, but people didn't know about it in my church. They didn't know about it among my social circles until that happened. So maybe it was something like that. It was a, it was an exposure, not just to getting caught. Um, That's a big so, difference. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that woke me up, you know, that was the, 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 the catalyst that I needed to change. Um, so at that point I started getting more serious, you know, I got started working closely with, with some mentors of mine and a pastor friend of mine, got some serious help in that regard and started breaking apart the, the core issues instead of just treating the symptoms. You know, it wasn't just a, oh, you have to try harder and you have to put this software on your phone and you have to do this, this, and this, you know, it's deeper than that. You know, I realized there were some issues with emotional issues that I hadn't dealt with feelings of not being good enough, feelings of rejection, um, those sorts of things that were the true deep cause of the addiction. So I had to work through those things. And once I did, I started getting, seeing serious recovery. Now there were relapses after that, but it, 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 it took time but I was able to actually see progress and permanent progress. And, and, and instead of, you know, going crazy with the addiction and then stopping and going off for completely for a few months and then going right back into it, it was more of a gradual um, progression of, 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 of making consistent progress and, and building momentum in that battle. Um, how I got into this side of it, um, into coaching was, was kind of, I never really intended either. Um, you know, I, I was glad I was getting help. I glad my marriage was coming back together and being restored, but I didn't still didn't intend to, you know, tell the whole world my story, but I had, I started getting more involved with my church. You know, I started playing on, on the praise team and, and, and being involved there. And with that, I came in contact with a lot of younger guys, um, you know, late teens, early twenties guys who, I just found out this just porn stuff was just running rampant through, you know, that, that, that generation is just, just awful. 
And so I started working with them, mentoring them, just saying, Hey guys, I know what you're going through. I've been through it. You know, let, let me help you. Let me talk to you. Let me be your accountability. And so I started working with them. I led a Bible study, you know, started helping in that way. Then I started writing. Um, I've always enjoyed writing. So I started writing a blog. I started the into the wilderness blog, um, you know, as a means just for me to share some of my story, you know, and, and do that. I started opening up a little bit and, and every time I opened up the door a little bit, it seemed like God would take it and kick the thing wide open, <laughs> you know? So, you know, the blog took off. I started posting on Twitter more and that took off. And all of a sudden I have dozens of, of DMS a day of guys saying, Hey, I'm struggling with this. What do I do? So out of that came the living porn free book, which I realized was a lot of guys are struggling with this. In fact, the majority of guys are struggling with this and they needed a place to start. You know, there's a lot of good resources out there. There's a lot of great books that have been written, a lot of great programs, but a lot of them are written in, and not, there's nothing wrong with this, but a lot of them are written by doctors, psychologists, you know, things like that. And, and sometimes I think they get too deep, too quick on people. They get too much into psychology too quick. Where what I found is a lot of guys just needed a way to stop the bleeding. Right. It's like, where do I even begin? It's like, yeah, I understand I need to work through some of these emotional problems, but I don't even know how to stop jerking off five times a day. You know, so what I created Living Porn Free as is a how to, how to quit porn. <laughs> yeah. So it, 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 like I said, it stops the bleeding. It helps figure out what's going on and, and then dig into those, those core emotional issues. Um, yeah. When so you I look at it, it was, it's really great because, you know, when some people read a book or they say they're learning about it or they're trying to understand more about it, there's kind of like that pause between I'm not doing anything to necessarily make change yet. I'm trying to learn about it and understand it. And I think people can get stuck in there too long and yeah. they can easily get pulled back into the old behaviors like the relapsing. But yours is almost saying like when you read this right away, you're starting to do work. Like right. you, you have them actually do work right away, not where they're going to read a whole book and then suddenly say, well, what do I do with this now? Or who do I see about this? Right. Like you, you had them do work right off the bat. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's action over perfection. You know, it, it's, I don't, and all the guys I coach too, you know, I say one of the, the biggest things I say to everybody is two steps forward. One step back is still moving forward. So what I want guys to do is to start working on it. You know, don't expect perfection. Nobody, I don't know anybody that's quit cold Turkey. Not that it can't happen. Not that God can't work, work miracles, but I don't know anyone that's done it. So my goal is to, um, I came up with a great concept the other day. I said, instead of going for the hitting streak, hit for batting average, you know? So, you know, a lot of guys go, oh, well, I went two weeks without porn and then I relapsed. And it was like, oh, I threw away two weeks of progress. Well, no, you didn't. Right. You, you were victorious 13 days and in one day you struck out. I feel that's like, like that's a so hard. something batting average. Is you that know, so, so hard with what we do? Like with, with substance use, with pornography, like that progress, not perfection is often like said, but there's sometimes how we, how some people talk with others about that or how we try and help people like that doesn't always equate to the same thing. Like in my mind, I look at someone goes to the gym is working with a trainer. 
and a trainer, they come in and they say, man, I, I gained some weight. I've been eating a lot around the holidays. And a trainer is like, well, let's get right back at it. Let's, let's, let's go. Let's you're here at the gym now. Let's, let's work out. But you're right. When you look at substance use, when you look at pornography, or when I work with people with gambling, when they've gone a certain amount of time and there's a relapse, there's like that, oh, there's like that, there's nothing now that, that went all away now that doesn't matter. And that's not just from them, but that comes from other people, like in their families that comes from other professionals who, you know, probation officers, like different people treat it that way, but we know it doesn't work that way. Right. It's like, why is there such a big gap in that? I think it's just the, just the absolute thinking that it has to be, you know, if if you're not cold Turkey and not, if you're doing it at all, you failed. You know, I think is, is the mindset. And what we have to do is shift the mindset from focusing on failure to focusing on victories. Correct. So like what I say is, is, is if you were watching porn five times a week and within a month or two, we can get that down to once or twice a week, that's progress. And we're going to celebrate that instead of beating you overhead that you're still doing it once or twice a week. Correct. You know, so it's celebrating victories instead of being defeated by failures. Yeah. I wish that was, I just see that so much. And I think there's like with the stigmas around the issues as well. And I think there's also, you know, when a family member has hope that someone has stopped, like they have, they're not doing it anymore. Like they just right. kind of hope that that's going to be like a forever thing. And right. when it, when there's a relapse that happens and stuff, then there is such like a going back to their reaction to it. And I'm interested to know where you are with this, because in my work with uh, substance use and gambling and pornography, one of the big differences I see when it comes to family members and significant others is when there's an issue with like alcohol or drugs, they kind of say like, what's wrong with you? When there's an issue with pornography and sex, they go, what's wrong with me? Right. There's like a significantly higher personalization to sex and pornography addiction than there is in comparison to like alcohol, drugs, or some other behavior. Have you, have you noticed that too? Yeah. Especially, you know, a spouse or or a girlfriend or a partner is automatically going to think, oh, well, I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not sexy enough, you know, and, and make it about them when it really isn't. Um, One thing I say all the time is porn addiction has nothing to do with pain. Porn addiction doesn't have anything to do with pleasure. It has to do with pain. You know, so men who are addicted to porn aren't addicted because they're just hornier than everybody else. They're not addicted because they're not, you know, because their wife isn't pretty or their wife isn't, you know, sexually pleasing to them. They're using porn as an escape for something. They're using porn to cope with something that they just can't deal with. Very similar to many other addictions. You know, um, you know, a lot of alcoholics don't, you know, it's not that they just love drinking more than anybody else. It's that they're using that there's some sort of issue that they they're using that to cope with and to cover up with. And it's the same with porn, but because it's sexual, it adds also these so many other dynamics to it. You know, so you go with the, the betrayal of trust, you go with, you know, the, a woman's self-esteem, all those things get added into it that don't get added into it when it's a, a drug addiction or gambling addiction or, or so on. Yeah. I noticed that so much. And when I work with couples, that's, it's a really, it's one of the reasons why, I mean, I always recommend a, you know, a significant other to get help too, no matter what the 
addiction is, whether it's right. drugs or, or pornography, like I always recommend, but I encourage it so much more and emphasize it when it comes to like pornography and sex, because I know that there is a, a recovery for them as well that they need and healing that they need mm-hmm. from it. And one of those biggest things I've noticed is that personalizing it is what did I do? Why am I not good enough? What is it about me that's lacking that caused you to do this that you don't always see as much when it comes to other behaviors and substances? Right. And that's something that's incredibly hard for for a spouse or significant other to understand, you know, especially because. And I think this is a cultural thing, too. You know, it's like, oh, well, if he's looking at porn, you should he's cheating and you should dump him. And I don't think that's the case. I don't equate porn with adultery. I don't. Yeah, there's certain sometimes things get bad and things are damaged and a marriage can't survive. It happens. But I don't put porn addiction on that level of of cheating. Now, I did. I did both. (laughs) But I don't put it on that on that level. And, and because it's been put on that level, people think that that's just the end of the relationship when it doesn't have to be, because it oftentimes, it doesn't have anything to do at all with the spouse or with the wife. It has something to do with something inside of the, the man, something emotional that he just can't deal with, whether it's childhood trauma or abuse or, or emotional issues that they just couldn't deal with. Maybe it's an inferiority complex. It's, it's a fear of rejection. Um, depression, you know, all those sorts of things. And that's just how it manifests itself. We learn to sexualize those emotions. And by running away to porn and to sex, we could escape from the things that we, that, that, that internal pain and that internal turmoil that we just couldn't deal with. It has nothing to do with the spouse most of the time. Yeah. And that's really hard. And that's why I think spouses yeah. need help too, because without hearing that from someone, you know, like a professional or a support person and learning about that, mm-hmm. their mind goes in so many different directions about that and not in good directions. Like a lot right. of, a lot of things are probably making it worse, but that's where hearing it from someone like me, like you, like another support peer about that is really, really helpful. And I think one of the things that also stood out in relation to family members and significant others is in your book, you talked about how, there's a ripple effect and how it impacts others. And we, we always talk about this with um, addictive behaviors and, and substances, but I found a quote of yours pretty fascinating was you talk about other people being affected by it. That's not just the spouse or the significant right. other, but like family members and other people are also affected by, by porn use. I don't hear that talked about a lot. Can you say more about, that impact that it has, not just on a relationship with a spouse, but on other people in your life? Sure, sure. I mean, it can, the most immediate one other than your spouse is your children. You know, if you're spending all your time looking at porn and masturbating, you're not being there for your children. And they see the devastation that it can cause to, to the marriage and to the family. Um, you're, 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 you know, if, you, if your marriage falls apart from porn, then your family is going to fall apart. You can lose custody of your kids. You can lose that. They, they see those those issues. Um, you see it expand into social circles like it did with mine and to where my friends disowned me basically because of it. If, it had, if I had been 
alcohol addiction, I don't know if they would have done that. Because there's this taboo thing about porn and sex that people, you don't talk about it, you know. So it can, and then you get seen as this, this pervert or this, this creep or something like that. When you really aren't, you're just, it just manifests itself in a sexual way and not, not into other things. It can have effects at work. You know, first of all, you're, you're, you're not focused on your work. You're constantly thinking sexual thoughts and doing that. And I know a whole lot of guys that have lost their jobs because they've gotten caught with porn and stuff at work. That's what the number one, usually people get referred or come see me for two reasons. Either one, they got caught at work and got in trouble and got fired, or they got caught by their significant other and they're coming. Those are the the top two reasons why someone comes to me and they say I have a problem with pornography. Right. Right. But I like that you talk about, it's a good question to ask. Because like I said, they come to you and they often say, this is destroying my marriage. This is causing problems in my relationships. But I think it's a very important question to ask. How do you think it's affecting other areas in your life? Because I don't think they're necessarily open to seeing that or, or recognizing the impact. But we do that for other things. I ask people, how do you think your alcohol use is affecting your family? How do you think it's affecting your relationships, your friendships? But I think pornography is one where that's not an automatic question to ask, but it's a very important question. Right. And you see it affect other areas of your life, too. There are emotional causes of it, too. You know, depression, anxiety can be both the cause of and a symptom of porn addiction. You know, you get into that shame cycle and you, you, you feel like crap, you feel depressed, you feel anxious, you feel stressed and overwhelmed. So you run to porn to escape. Well, then you feel convicted. You feel terrible at doing that. So you get anxious and depressed and stressed out again. So then, and it just perpetuates this cycle. So you get into that aspect of it. You also get into the physical aspect of it. A major problem that we're seeing amongst teenage and early 20s boys is porn-induced erectile dysfunction, where, and even older ages too, but where men are at the height of their virility, you know, Late teen, early 20 guys should have no problem getting it up anywhere. Um, and they're having problems getting an erection because they've worked their brain so much and changed their brain so much that it only responds to that stimulus and doesn't even respond to the stimulus of a real woman. That's what we see with drugs. Drugs do yeah. that. Like that creates that non-natural Right. way of achieving like a high in a rush that like now normal things don't cause that like you're not experiencing that right in normal everyday ways that you used to and I remember I saw I had a kid who was 17 and we caught him with um, Viagra pills mm-hmm. and we were this was like a, a residential program and we we're wondering like why does a 17 year old have this yeah like why why is that why does he have that but one of the problems that we found out and we didn't know it at the time, this was like 10 years ago when I was working with, with kids was he looked at a lot of porn mm-hmm. and, you know, back then pornography was seen as like a, they have porn. That's a infraction. That's a rule violation. You know, like that's breaking the rules, but I would think it was a lot more than just that for this kid, but 17 years yeah. old. And imagine yeah. how things were at 17, like imagine things 10 years ago and how things are now with like advances right. in technology 
and social media and all that, like that is a huge thing that younger kids and teenagers and all that are experiencing at such drastic changes than years ago when, when we were younger. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm 34, you know, so I grew up with the internet, but even then we had to sneak down in the middle of the night after our parents were in bed, you know, um, previous generation before me had to go to behind that creepy curtain at the video rental store. Um, kids nowadays, you're giving them a phone at 10 years old, probably earlier, a lot of kids, and you're giving them unfiltered access to pornography and they're going to bed with it. Right. So they're, you're getting exposed to it at such a young age. Um, whereas my generation, generations older, they might've gotten exposed to it at 10, 11 years old because some older brother or cousin, or they found their dad's playboys or something like that. But it wasn't the ease of accessibility that it is now. And so much, you know, where someone my age might've found their dad's playboy and had one playboy to look at for all their teenage years. You know, now you can go on this rabbit hole down at, you know, Pornhub and all these other sites for hours and hours and hours on end and never be, you know, never run out. And so that's what's happening. These kids, these teens are just overwhelmed with it. Plus everything that you see, you know, social media now is just, there's, there's straight up hardcore porn on Instagram and Twitter. And it's it. And, and you can, and you can interact with like, that's the thing I noticed. I right. had someone who they were in their early twenties. I saw them. One of their problems was they weren't only just watching it, but then they were paying on sites to interact with these, like with porn stars or with um, Instagram models. And I think right. this is something that you touched up on that when I read this, I was like, this kind of gave you like a, this guy knows his stuff. <laughs> but when you, you talked about with, with alcohol and drugs, people crave more, mm-hmm. but you talk about with like porn, people crave different. Right. And I've noticed that because with drugs and alcohol, the, the ceiling of what it's going to do, like they hit that plateau, that feeling that they're going to get or that rush that they're looking for. Like after a while, someone's still not telling me I'm trying to find that newer kind. Like they, they hit those ceilings. Yeah, the next but, big thing. yeah. But with pornography and with these differences and changes in social media and accessibility, that ceiling or roof of difference is it's ever growing and getting higher and higher. Like you want something different, you can try and find it. And I think that's a huge challenge in our work with people with pornography is they're not just craving more of something, but they start to crave different. And that's really hard for someone with an addiction. Right. Right. And that's how it, it escalates. You know, you don't just, you know, with other addictions, you just do, you drink more and more, you, you shoot up more and more, whatever, where porn addiction is different is, yeah, you, you crave new, you crave the novel, you know, so that's where it escalates, where eventually just straight vanilla porn doesn't do it for you. Um, you know, you go from the early, early teens kid that just Googles boobs, you know, and then they get in the hardcore porn and then the hardcore porn is enough. So they get in the kinkier stuff and more fetish stuff. You know, for me, it went from that and then it escalated to where I went into the cam sites. I went into the chat rooms of that sort of stuff. Eventually, that's not even enough. You have to start acting out on these fantasies to get that same high. You know, so I started doing that. I had the hookups, the, the Craigslist, the Tinder, the, 
you know, whatever. You know, eventually that is enough. You get into weirder stuff. You get into threesomes, orgies. You know, a lot of guys even get, you know, completely straight guys get in the same sex attraction stuff just because it's the next big thing to get that rush. Um, and that just, it just doesn't end. And so that's a danger of porn is that it's such a gateway drug as well. One of the things I do is I talk about like chasing the fantasy and having to grieve the fantasy, like having to grieve the idea of that there's something different that's going to be what I want. Because in the end, it, it just causes more and more destruction. It just causes yeah. the same chaos. But that's a different conversation I have to have with someone when I'm working with them on pornography versus if it's alcohol or drugs or gambling, like there, there are so many chasing fantasies that can lead to, to so many new areas and things. And you have to be able to learn how to let go of that or grieve that because your mind can always convince yourself that there is another one out there. Yeah. Not, not the same when you talk about like drugs or alcohol. Right. Right. It's always the next thing will be enough. You know, the next, the next video will be enough, will satisfy you. The next girl you talk to will be enough. The next girl you hook up with, you'll finally feel satisfied. Or once you get into all these fantasy things, oh, if I could just actually act out that fantasy. You know, I saw this cool three-summer thing in, 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 a, in a video. Of, oh, if I could just actually do that in real life, that would be enough. And it's never enough. It never ends. And then you just keep spiraling and spiraling out of control. One of the things I wanted to, to ask you about was the, the topic of discipline came up in your book. And I found that very intriguing because a lot of people, I think, believe discipline is, is maybe not the answer, but it's an important thing. I need to be disciplined. I need to be disciplined with like going to meetings or I need to be disciplined with like doing this. That if, as long as I was disciplined, I could no longer have this problem. But you have a different take on that. And you talk about why you disagree with discipline being the answer. Right, right. Can you, you shed light on that? Sure, you certainly need discipline. You know, you need to be determined. You need to, to, to try hard and fight hard and, and work hard towards it. But it's never gonna be enough because it's not an issue of just trying harder. It's not an issue of just, you know, being motivated to do it because you're using it to cope for something else. You know, so you're, 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 you're using porn as an escape from whatever that emotional issue that we talked about earlier. So because of that, no matter how hard you try, you're not going to overcome it because you're not dealing with the root issue. You're only treating the symptoms, not the disease. So you can, you can get rid of all your porn stash. You can quit social media. You can put software blockers on your phone, which you can and should do. But unless you deal with the why you're watching porn, you're never going to find lasting freedom from it because the why is what's driving it. So right. I've compared it a lot to, and, and you can maybe relate to this too, where it's like an alcoholic pouring all the booze down the drain. You know, that takes away that temptation, that takes away that opportunity, but it doesn't take away the drive or the desire to drink. It's not dealing with this disease, it's dealing with the symptoms. So it's the same way with porn. Yeah, you can do all these things, but until you deal with why you're wanting to watch porn in the first place, then you're not going to find um, you're not going to find lasting freedom because you're not dealing with the core issue. 
Yeah, it's great because I remember I just had a conversation with someone who they were disciplined and didn't go to this event that they were thinking of going to. It was a get together and there was going to be drinking involved and he didn't, he was wrestling with, do I go, do I not go? And he made the decision not to go. And he felt like he was very disciplined about that. Cause normally he would say, well, yeah, I'm going to go and I'm going to try and kind of lie about it or like, you know, white knuckle it through, but right. he goes, but I still ended up drinking, <laughs> yeah. but he didn't go to the party, but because he was at home and because he was, he felt like he was missing out because right. he felt like he was not enjoying himself. Boredom was kicking in. He ended up going to the store and getting alcohol and drinking at home. Yeah. So even though he was disciplined and made some good decisions by not going, by not addressing like that real what's going on there, the why behind right. it, he just found another way to go out and sure. drink. Sure. So that, that definitely yeah. emphasizes Relying that. on discipline requires to you, requires a hundred percent no failure. You know, it doesn't allow for any sort of, you have to be on your game and have your defenses up 100% of the time. And if you don't, the entire thing falls apart. Whereas the better way is to build it from the other way, build it from the inside out. So you're dealing with those core issues, you're doing that. And then the discipline, you don't have to be as disciplined because you're not having the, the, as, as much urge. You're going on offense instead of just playing defense. If you're just constantly relying on having the strength to say no in the moment, you're going to fail the majority of the time. You know, if you're already at the point where you're laying down in your bed and you're scrolling through Instagram and seeing hot models and you're thinking, oh, I could look at porn and masturbate right now. If you're relying on having the strength to stop at that point, you're, you're, you're way past the point of no return. You need to go back farther and, 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 deal with the, and deal with that core issue farther back before you even get to that point. You know, re recognize where you can course correct and, and, and find a better way, an alternative way to dealing with this than relying on having the, the, the discipline and the strength in that moment, because in that moment, you're probably too far gone. Yeah. That's what I think a lot of people think if I just don't do this or don't do that. And that's kind of like when people try and do it their own way. Like yeah. when someone comes to me and says, they try to delete this, get rid of this, I've done this, but I'm still seeing you. I'm still here. Like I'm still yeah. having, like you hear all these people talk about things that they've done or changes they've tried to make with like putting this on, getting rid of this, no longer having this contact, but yet they're still struggling right. with it. And I think that highlights exactly right. why there's still that struggle that just deleting a phone number. Yeah. The only times people have told me they've deleted a, a person's number, like a drug dealer's number, or they've deleted their social media account, but then a week goes by, two weeks goes by, and I go, well, you know, how's everything going? And then they tell me, well, I, I watched pornography again. I used again. Yeah. So it wasn't just the answer of delete right. this or block this or get rid of this. Like that doesn't answer, yeah. answer everything or really anything about the core issue. Right, right. And you yeah, I'm, and, I'm and those are things that are helpful and you should do, uh, but they can't be the only... Thing that you do otherwise you're just scratching the scratching the surface right the uh another thing that came up was i see pornography similar to other issues because of the cultural aspect of mm -hmm. it 
And in it, you talk about in your book, you talk about like society cannot separate intimacy from sex. And that right. does sound like a, a cultural issue than just like the individual problem. So where do we begin to address a cultural issue like intimacy and sex? That's just not an individual thing, but it's a cultural problem. Right. Yeah, I think, like I say in the book, society has come to equate sex with intimacy. When you say the word intimacy in public, people think you're talking about sex. And sex is certainly a part of intimacy, but sex isn't all of intimacy. A lot of times what guys are looking for when they're watching porn, they're looking for intimacy. They're looking for love. They're looking for acceptance. You know, they're looking to be, to be a part of something, to be cared for. They're feeling lonely. They're feeling rejected. They're feeling any of that. And they're looking to get that intimacy, that acceptance, that encouragement, that love, that support. We've trained ourselves to think that that comes through sex when it's really the other way around. You know, I think of, of intimacy as a pyramid, you know, and sexual intimacy is at the top, it's the pinnacle, but the foundations of it are physical intimacy, emotional intimacy, spiritual intimacy, you know, all those, 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 those intellectual connections and those emotional connections that we have. And then on the top of that is sexual intimacy. And we think that if we just have sex, all those other things will, will fill in the blanks when it's the opposite. In a good relationship, you build all those lower levels of intimacy, then sex comes naturally. So you have a lot of guys looking for these things. They're looking for friendship, companionship, for acceptance. And they're trying to find it through sex. They think, oh, well, sex equals intimacy and thinks that if I have sex, then I'll have all these other things when that's not the case. And I, that's gotta be a something that you talk with almost everyone about yeah that that right there is such a certainly that's got to be a cornerstone pillar piece to understanding that difference between intimacy and sex and knowing what you know why is it that someone is going towards pornography for this and the kind of what's happening because now if you're seeing them differently and not in the same way that they're supposed to be like that is going to lead you down a very unhealthy path when it comes to ideas of intimacy and sex and healthy relationships. And sure enough, that's where we see people when they come to us with pornography problems mm -hmm. It's way back somewhere. This idea of what they thought was intimacy and what they thought was like healthy sex has been definitely um, changed in a way that isn't healthy. Yeah. Yeah. And you have a guy like me that, that struggled with, with feelings of rejection, feelings of, not being good enough, you know, porn addiction, never, porn never rejects you. It never says, no, you're never not good enough. You're never not man enough. You know, you, you're, you're always the, the prototypical male. So if you're, if you're feeling those things, you can run to this and feel that and not have to, to fear the rejection of actually talking to a real woman. And so that's what it becomes then. We, we're actually searching for that intimacy of a real woman in a real good nurturing relationship. We think that that comes through sex and it doesn't. So I tell couples or tell men that I talk to are married and say, well, you know, a lot of this is, you know, the sex fell off with my wife and I started looking at porn and, and they think, well, if they just have sex, if they had more sex with their wife, all these other things would, would, would happen. It's like, no, it's the opposite. 
you have to build that emotional intimacy, that physical connection, that, that spiritual connection. And then, you know, sex is just a natural progression of that type of relationship. Yeah. I like that idea. It, you know, instead of thinking this creates this and this will result in that it's, it's the opposite where if we do these things, we work on this intimacy, then it will lead to that versus thinking that is the answer, which also tells right. you that's not the problem. Like right. talk about a, <laughs> a one-two punch right there is that it's not the answer, which also tells us it's not necessarily the problem what we were talking about earlier yeah. with it. And that kind of recaptures the idea of these important topics, which I think someone needs to hear and understand if it comes when it comes to recovering from it. So uh, there's yeah. there's a there's a quote you had. Uh, you have a chapter about seek God's help, and you quote a book in there that I've um, added to my wish list. Haven't read it yet, but I'm very intrigued to read it. But the quote from it was the man who surfs for the web for porn is surfing for God. Yeah. That really stood out to me. Can you elaborate more about that? Yeah. So that's a book called surfing for God by Michael John Cusick. And it, it, it's a, it's a paraphrase of an older quote. I can't remember who the original quote was it says the man who knocks on the door of a brothel is knocking for God. So um, he just, you know, 21st century. <laughs> I can see why the, the change in but, the, uh, yeah. <laughs> but the thought is that you're not searching for sex. You know, you're not searching for pleasure. You're searching for an escape from pain. We're looking to fill a hole in our hearts. And a lot of times that hole can be filled by, by God. That that's we're, we're searching for love and acceptance for forgiveness. We're searching for intimacy. We're searching for fulfillment and purpose in life. And again, we think sex can provide all that, but it doesn't, you know? So a lot of times when we're, we're, you're looking at, you're looking for porn, you're looking for sex, you're looking to fill, looking to fill some sort of hole in your life. You're just looking in all the wrong places. You know, there's a God-sized hole in your heart and you're looking to fill it with something that isn't God. And you're never going to be satisfied by that. That's very powerful. I'm very interested to read that book. I'm guessing you recommend it because you mentioned it a few times, I believe, in in your book. Yeah. And I think that's something where that void, there's nothing wrong with that that void is there. Like that's something that, you know, who doesn't want to feel like there's a purpose or feel like they are accepted and loved, but doing it with pornography, doing it with alcohol, drugs, you know, gambling, that never, I always say it makes the void worse. Sure. You know, it, it, it seems like it fills sure. it, but it usually does it in like a numbing, escaping, avoiding way. Exactly. But then when it goes away, you can't deal with it. You become even more distressed by it. And then it's just like the hole becomes bigger. And then not knowing what to do to fill it, they use the pornography, or they use the drugs or the alcohol again. Then it goes to the cycle of it's numbing, it's escaping, it's avoiding. Then all of a sudden the hole gets once again, even bigger. So even though they think like what they're doing is trying to fill that, it never does. It never fills it. It usually makes it significantly more difficult to fill. People then feel even more lonely or they feel further rejected. Like I never had someone come to me and say, you know, I've looked at porn over the weekend and I feel so much more accepted now. Yeah. Or I feel so much more love now. I'm good now. 
No, they're seeing me because afterwards they feel guilt, they feel shame, there's all this going on, and they feel further away from love and accepted. Right. So it's it's like a it's like a mirage. It promises it it promises you to quench your thirst and it, it doesn't. It makes you thirstier. You know, it may feel good you know, I'll go with that ocean example, you know, to, like when you're stranded on a desert island and you're thirsty, you, you, you're, you know, you're, you're craving the drink of water, the, the drink of seawater. And yeah, it feels good for a minute. It quenches your thirst for a little while, but it actually slowly kills you from the inside out. That's a great way of looking at it. That's, that's a powerful way to get people to like mentally imagine that happening. So it's a, it's a definitely a good way of doing it. So there's one thing, to close on, but I also want to give my listeners a way to learn more about what you're doing and to, and to find more of your stuff. Your book is a great place to start. Your website is into the wilderness blog.com. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. And they can also find you on social media at Timothy Regal as well. Yep. Is there any other way they can learn more about or find out about what you have available? Cause you do more than just author and coach. Right. So, so I do that. That's mostly what I do online, you know, in person here, we're here where I live in Pennsylvania. I'm worship director at my church. So I do a lot of one-on-one stuff through that, um, you know, and minister to people in that way. Um, you know, pre COVID I was doing some, some speaking and, and presenting and stuff like that. That's kind of stopped for now. Hopefully that can start back up soon, but, um, yeah, I do the, um, you know, you can go on my website in the wilderness there. You can find, you know, I post, usually weekly articles um, about porn and sex addiction, but also other things and how it relates into family issues and, and masculinity issues and different things like that. Um, all my products are on there. You, there's a link to book the Living Porn Free book on Amazon, as well as a video course. Video course goes a little bit more in depth. Um, it's me on video actually teaching the course and, and walking you through the, the 10 steps to recovery, redemption and renewal um, one by one. And then I also do the one-on-one coaching where, you know, we talk one-on-one face-to-face mostly over zoom and, you know, we'll work through those core issues. You know, we'll, we'll figure out how to stop the bleeding and and do that deep diving and self-reflection to figure out what those core emotional issues are so that we can treat the disease, not just the symptoms. Yeah. And I see your, your blogs that you post are great. It's a very helpful resource. I've, I've given that sometimes to clients that I find helpful. Your book that we've talked about is extremely useful. And all these things are going to be helpful for not just people who are struggling with it, but also professionals like myself who work with people in it as well. So definitely check out what you have available. The last question I have before we conclude is you mentioned this in your conclusion. That's why I wanted to bring it up as we close this. And you talk about in the end, it's okay to be struggling and you actually call it a good thing. But many people I know are probably thinking I'm tired of struggling. I'm exhausted. I don't know how much more I have to give in me. Like to the idea of struggling to some people is very close to like defeat, but you talk about it in a way that can be good and they can use that for healing. So right. where do you see the struggle to where it, it can help someone and be beneficial? Well, to me, if there's a struggle, 
if there's a fight, that means there's one force fighting against another force. That means you're fighting back. That means you know what you're doing is wrong and you're trying to fix it. You may be failing more than you're winning, but you're trying. You're fighting. You haven't given up all hope. You haven't just thrown in the towel and said, you know what? I'm not worth it. I'm not worth trying to get fixed, trying to help. I, I give up. And so if there's a struggle, if you're trying and failing, you're trying. That's the first step. That's the hardest step is trying. So that's my message to people is if, if, if you're struggling, that's good. That means you're fighting. That means there's fight in you yet. That means you haven't lost all hope. That means there is hope that you aren't too broken, too damaged, too screwed up to be fixed. That means there's hope for you and you can beat this. I battled this for 15, over 15 years. And there were certainly times where I felt like throwing in the towel and, and giving, all, giving up all hope. But thankfully I didn't, you know, because I knew what I was doing was wrong. And I knew that my family needed me. I knew that my family loved me. I knew that God loved me and God would forgive me no matter how broken and damaged I was. And so just that little ounce of hope, that's all you need. It's just a little bit of hope. And if they're still fighting you, then there's hope. And if there's hope, you can defeat it. I like that a lot. That's a really powerful message to people who, when they probably read your stuff or they, they reach out to you for help, they reach out to me for help, they are struggling. Like that is the position that they are in. So I really think that's an important message to share with people. So I, I loved reading that in your in the conclusion part of your book. So I really want to thank you for joining me. I've wanted to have someone on to talk about pornography because it is such a issue and it's been labeled a crisis. It's been labeled a, an epidemic by some people. Yeah. And I think anyone listening to this or hearing about it is probably going to think more about it or you need to start thinking more about it because it's an issue we are going to see more and more. So thanks for being right. a part of this to educate people on issues related to pornography and the, the stuff you're doing to help out. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, I think that this has been the, the mission and the purpose that, that God's laid on my life. And so if I can use my story to help others and, and help other men avoid the darkness that I went through, then, then that's all worth it. So thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So check out his website, check out his book, his other things, a lot of great stuff out there to learn from. And if you enjoyed listening to us, Find out more stuff that he has because there is a lot available. So thanks again for joining. And as always, thank you for listening.